Good morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the Managing Director of Business of Cannabis. Welcome back to Cannabis Daily for Tuesday, January 18th. If you like what you see, you can check out the rest of our channel at businessofcannabis.com or on this channel right here on YouTube, Business of Cannabis on YouTube. So please subscribe. For those new to Business of Cannabis since 2017, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the cannabis industry. And that's what we look to do here every day. Following the rundown of the key stories we're following, we'll get to our BFC Live segment where we'll be joined by Brandon Kurtzman today. He's a partner of Vicente Setterberg. He'll be talking about all things legalization in New York. We'd love to hear from you in the comments and always feel free to visit us at businessofcannabis.com as well as through all of our social channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Before we get going, we encourage you to check out two upcoming events. First, our retail series in January, which will be online. It's presented by Leafly and Vitrina Group. We'll be looking at inventory planning for 2022 for cannabis retailers. And our Business of Cannabis Miami event about cannabis retail tech, design, and data. All the information is in the description below. For today's stories, Battle of the Brands in the U.S., Indoor Green Isn't So Green, Bruce is Back, CBD flower in France again. And how many cannabis stores are there in Canada? We will take a look. For our first story, after a lackluster year in federal cannabis legalization in the U.S., Amplify Seymour Cannabis ETF manager Tim Seymour told CNBC that 2022 will be all about building brand awareness in the cannabis industry. Tilray's Erwin Simon echoed the sentiment saying, what do you do in the U.S. while you wait for legalization? You build out brands and categories with adjacency to the cannabis industry, like the spirits business, like the beer business, like the food and hemp business. That according to Erwin Simon. For our second story, Canopy Growth's new environmental, social, and governance report, ESG, reveals that the company's 2020 emissions were, quote, equivalent to burning more than 65 million pounds of coal. That is in Mother Jones. Recent reports from Vancouver's Rubicon Organics and Toronto's Chiron Life Science reflect a similarly challenging environmental footprint. With investors increasingly looking for higher ESG ratings and sustainability, the pressure's on for cannabis companies to reduce their carbon footprint. Quote, as we work towards creating a sustainable long-term profitability, we are cognizant of the link between business models that create shared value for a wider stakeholder group being more likely to succeed over time versus those that operate in a singular pursuit of profit. That, according to Canopy's Chief Advocacy Officer, Hillary Black. For our third story, and thinking and speaking of Canopy, former Canopy Growth CEO Bruce Linton defended his actions as CEO of now-defunct Ruckify, which is a peer-to-peer rental marketplace designed to allow people to monetize their assets. Linton chimed in on LinkedIn, and according to him, they had six months of cash left when he took over. He, they gener- right before he took over, they generated $7,000 in rental income. That's not a typo, $7,000. Gross revenue was slightly higher, but losses were almost $8 million. And accumulated deficit was more than $14 million. He said, I could not save Ruckify. I took over as CEO in January 2021. It had six months of cash remaining. I went so far as to self as self-funding Ruckify until the end of 2021 while restructuring operations and attempting to merge with a viable entity still failed. He did have one lesson for all of us. Be careful about starting a business with neighbors or friends. For our fourth story, Cannabis Benchmarks, which is our partner on a weekly basis, reviewed cannabis uh, retail locations in Canada and gave us a store count. The number of stores continue to climb across Canada, making the legal cannabis system more accessible to consumers, according to Cannabis Benchmarks, or in some cases, increasing competition amongst retailers in more saturated local markets. 
The latest count shows the number of stores open for business reached 2,967 as of the end of December 2021. That number is up 111% compared to December 2022. Cannabis Benchmarks expects the trend to continue throughout this year, but potentially at a slower rate. You can read the full report on businessofcannabis.com. And on Tuesday, we always have updates from Cannabis Benchmarks. Our final story, the French hemp and CBD industry will find out if a government ban on CBD flower sales will be overturned by the courts this week. This, according to Business Can. The Hemp Professional Syndicate and the Union of CBD Professionals, UPCBD, have both formally requested to dismiss the ban that went into effect on the 31st, arguing that, quote, it's an emergency situation with 70% of sales coming from dried flour. Those are the stories we're watching today. Join 10,000 others and catch all of these stories and more in your inbox every day at 7 a.m. with our Cannabis Daily Newsletter. Coming up on our BFC Live podcast conversation, we connect with Brandon Kurtzman. He's a partner of Vicente Setterberg, a national cannabis law firm in the U.S. We wanted to connect with Kurtzman about the latest regulatory cannabis news in New York, including a recent announcement about a $200 million social equity fund in that state. This is Brandon Kurtzman from Vicente Setterberg. Brandon, thanks for being here. Good to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. Not a day goes by when New York cannabis legalization, timeline, social equity, there's a lot going on in New York. I want to talk to you about some of these things that have crossed everybody's screen. Are you ready for that? Yeah, let's talk about it. Good. The first thing uh, is it seems that the end of December a deadline passed for cities, municipalities, counties to opt in or opt out of uh, retail and in and out of lounges. Have I screwed that up too tremendously? No, no, uh, spot on. So uh, the December 31st was the deadline for municipalities to opt out of uh, the social consumption and the retail licenses. Um, so now we have a picture of sort of the municipalities that have opted out and who's opted in. and what we're going to now be monitoring is um, the, the local zoning that um, is passed to sort of regulate where these, uh, not only these uses, but all the other um, licensees can, um, you know, can, can be. And you know, that's gonna really um, sort of shape this next phase of New York licensing, which is um, obviously a big important part of um, all cannabis licensing. It's it's property and and where you're gonna where you're gonna be located. So, so uh, yeah, so it's a big 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 you know big development. So the re the real estate the real estate people are 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 well, they're not they're not waiting for anything, but they're they're anxiously awaiting what cities and counties will do related to zoning. Right, you know. Typically, uh, you don't want to spend a ton of money locking down a property that is, you know, with, when, there, when you don't know what the zoning is going to be later to only figure out that that property is, is not going to work for what you want to do there. So, um, you, you know, you want to have the zoning in place. And then once you know where the properties are going to be located or where you can locate these licenses or license, you know, licensed entities, licensed marijuana businesses, then, then you can, you know, enter into a lease or a purchase and sale agreement or whatever it may be to, um, to know where, um, to know where you're going to be located. Leases with no prospect of 
cannabis retail are very expensive investments. <laughs> We've learned that in other places for sure. Um, one of the more interesting or the most interesting aspect of what's happening in New York is the emphasis on social equity. Um, and, and the number of licenses that are gonna go to social equity applicants is, is very compelling. I wanna talk about that, but also that New York appears to be backing that up with how to get social equity applicants up and running too. And they announced, uh, you're gonna tell me the right number, but like $200 million fund. Talk to me about what's happening uh, aside from the, the licensing component, but also helping those businesses get up and thrive. Yeah, and you know, again, you hit the nail on the head with this, um, this notion that New, York's, New York has really made a strong commitment to, uh, to social equity. Um, and the, the state's goal is for 50% of all licenses to go to social equity applicants. And, and so you have a large list of um, groups that fit into those categories. These are minority owned businesses. These are um, in businesses or individuals that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Uh, you have um, distressed farmers, uh, disabled veterans. Um, there's even a, a legislation pending right now to expand social equity uh, to include um, uh, transgender, non-binary, gay, lesbian, um, and, and bisexual individuals as well. So, um, so there's, uh, there's this whole group of individuals and, or individuals and entities or qualifications that um, will, be able to, will be able to participate in social equity. Now the numbers are great and and the, the goals are great, but how do you how do you back these up? Um, and one of the the biggest complaints or obstacles that um, we see with social equity programs in many states is um, there's there isn't adequate funding or sources of funding to support uh, social equity applicants. And where New York seems to be differing from other states. Is the is that they they seem to be very the, the most thoughtful or extremely thoughtful about um, one providing commitments with funds. You know, Governor Hochul recently came out and said uh, there's going to be you know two hundred million dollar public private fund to um, support uh, social equity businesses. But then um, you you also have sort of a very strategic. Uh, roster of individuals who are involved with the, the CCB and the OCM, who it seems like have the, the, the experience to really see this through. And, and I can expand on that um, if, if you want me to. And, I want you to. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, I think that, um, so the, you know, the, the I really see uh, revenue or, or the funds available to support social equity coming from three places. Uh, and traditionally, um, in, in many other states, you see uh, like the taxes generated from the sale of cannabis will be reinvested to social equity programs, um, or the fees that uh, the licensees use to apply for the licenses and to do their annual registrations will be used to support social equity. The, the issue with uh, using taxes and fees for social equity is that it doesn't get the fee, doesn't get the funds to social equity at the outset. And that's really when social equity businesses need them the most. Because if you're waiting for everybody else to get operational and start selling before money starts rolling in, 
then it, it further disadvantages the individuals who don't have access and can't get open as soon as everybody else. Now, New York is doing a great job to, uh, to, to allocate the taxes and the fees to social equity causes. And, and we can kind of put that aside for a second and focus more on, you know, how do you get funds to social equity applicants earlier on? And I think that is um, where this $200 million um, fund comes in. And again, we don't have a lot of details yet about this um, this fund, and you know what, you know how it's going to, you know where this money is going to come from, and, and who's going to have access to it. But what I look to is I look to CCB Commissioner uh, Reuben McDaniel III, who currently serves as the the CEO and president of. Um, the dormitory, the dormitory authority, or the dormitory of state of New York, the dormitory of state of New York, and what the dormitory authority of the state of New York is, it's um, it's a public benefit corporation that was established in like 1944 with the goal of providing or, or issuing bonds um, to support a, a nonprofit projects for education, um, government, public health. And, and I think that there's few individuals in New York that um, are better suited than Commissioner McDaniel to use the, um, the, the infrastructure or the lessons or the systems that, um, that Daphne has been using for decades now and in, in incorporating this to issue bonds and find ways to um, raise money for social equity, um, for social equity applicants. So it, it's um, it's uh, I, it's no mistake that Governor Hochul appointed Reuben McDaniel to the the commission because he knows exactly how to raise funds for um, for businesses that need that need funding and and Daphne already has does a ton of work for um, you know diverse owned businesses women owned businesses so. This isn't this isn't new, and and I don't think that there's any state that has been this thoughtful with these type of appointments. Um, you know, Tremaine Wright, uh, who's the the chairwoman of the the CCB, she's currently serves as the um, is it the statewide office of financial inclusion, um, which is you know has a similar mission in terms of finding funding for um, underprivileged uh, individuals and organizations. So they've they've created this really dream team of, of individuals with experience to, to really focus and provide solutions for social equity. It, it's so thoughtful. And, and in our event in New York and uh, back in September, it was there's lots of information out there about how states have done it that didn't work, but also not taking lessons from that, but like what does work and how can we replicate that? And New York in some cases is charting its own path, right? They, they've taken all the information available to them from Colorado on forward and said, we see what works, we see what doesn't, and how can we make it uniquely New York, but also make it actually implementable um, across the board. I think this fund is a really good example of that, but also the, the, the way they're gonna be doing licensing is, is quite thoughtful, it, which lends itself to, to a sort of, maybe the last question is, um, you add uh, cannabis plus thoughtful, plus um, elections, plus, um, social, you know, like everything else that's going on, it doesn't lend itself to quick or fast generally uh, when you add up all those things. 
give us a give us an idea of sort of what a timeline or time frame might be when we might be able to go into an adult use i don't know dispensary in buffalo from toronto and like get cannabis is that like can we even predict when that might be and if we can't predict when they like give us some of the steps along the timeline yeah and and you know we we talked earlier about you know municipalities opt again which is you know this deadline that was state imposed deadlines um to essentially move the process along the state knows that you need to have locations in order to you know have these businesses um all indications based on what we're hearing from uh chairwoman right and from other um from other commissioners and from the governor is that it's it's going to be uh early 2023 for when these licensed businesses will be open to the public the the steps that are need to occur between now and then are um one the big one the, the next thing that we're going to really look to see is is regulations uh, so they have indicated that regulations, uh, draft of regulations are going to come out sometime in uh, Q1 of this year, um, which will have a draft of regulations, which will be followed by a two-month um, a, a two-month public comment period. Uh, then the regulations will be uh, you know promulgated in effect, and then there'll be the rollout of the the licenses, and the state will start to uh, accept licenses in in some capacity. Um, and then there's sort of the review period for the licenses, um, which it's it's hard to say, you know, how long that's going to take and, and how long it's going to take for them to uh, roll out the licensing process. But the idea is that from the time that regulations pass to sometime in early 2023, everything else that needs to happen um, in terms of uh, creating the licensing process, accepting licenses, reviewing licenses, issuing licenses, will occur uh, to allow for the businesses to open in early 2023. And I think that a large part of that is making sure that uh, they that the, the CCB and the, and the OCM are, are taking the steps necessary to ensure that the, the social equity considerations are, are properly in place so that you're not giving advantages to um, the, the same groups that have always had the advantages, the ones that are, have easier access to the funding. And, and, it's, and if they, they do it properly, I can see how it's going to take a year to, and a year is, you know, a quick timeline for the, the task at hand here. And if they're, they're able to, to do it right, which, which I think that they have the talent and, and seems like the plan to do, it's, um, it's really going to be a great program in New York, which um, I think is, is going to be worth the wait. Yeah, it would be a great model, right? I mean, there are still lots of big states to follow, including some neighboring New York, right? You know, Pennsylvania and Ohio, um, you know, we're looking even further, like in Minnesota, like there's just lots of road ahead. And every state that gets it closer to right is is great um, to my mind. And, and it's great to connect with you sort of about the latest what's happening in New York, because again, it's happening fast and furious on some levels, even though the timeline seems to be, you know, a year out till a year or more till we actually start to see, um, you know, stores opening and, and, and sort of a, a real robust plan. But but the idea that you just laid out does make good sense and makes me less anxious, but also a good a good a good view of sort of what has happened over the past month and what what is likely to happen over the next several. So, Brenda, I always appreciate chatting with you. We look forward to connect with you down the road and um, keep up the good work. Yeah, you too, Jay. Talk soon. 
That was episode 12 of Cannabis Daily. Thank you for joining us this morning on YouTube. Please subscribe and we will see you here tomorrow.